the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this mid-October weekend. I'll look at the news in a minute, but first a preview of my guest in the interview segment. I met up with an old friend in Chicago, Father Frank Phillips, former pastor for 30 years at Chicago's well-known St. John Cantius Church. Assigned as pastor in 1988, he had always been a proponent of liturgy that is celebrated with reverence and with great attention to the rubrics as established by the Church. And thanks to him and the current pastor, Father Josh Caswell, St. John offers high and low Masses in both Latin and English. Father Phillips also greatly enhanced this solemn liturgy by the rich musical tradition of the Western Church, in addition to reviving many devotions. He founded the Canons Regular of St. John Cantius, who today work in three parishes in two dioceses in Illinois. They offer 57 public Masses weekly and hear more than 700 confessions every week. Yes, you heard that right. But now, take a breath and listen to some of the news highlights of the past week. Sunday, October 9th, Pope Francis presided over the canonization mass of Bishop Giovanni Battista Scalabrini and Salesian brother Artemide Zatti in St. Peter's Square in the presence of 50,000 faithful. He said both of the new saints dedicated their lives to a church that was inclusive and without barriers. St. Scalabrini cared a great deal for migrants, and St. Zati cared greatly for the sick, taking upon himself the wounds of others. With great vision, said the Pope, Scalabrini looked forward to a world and a church without barriers, where no one was a foreigner. For his part, Salesian brother Zati was a living example of gratitude. In off-the-cuff remarks, Francis said, indeed, the exclusion of migrants is criminal. It makes them die in front of us. Today we have the Mediterranean that is the largest cemetery in the world. The exclusion of migrants is sickening, it is sinful, it is criminal. Later at the Angelus, the Holy Father recalled the beginning of Vatican Council II 60 years ago. He said we should not forget the danger of nuclear war that menaced the world even at that time. Why don't we learn from history? Even then, there were conflicts and huge tensions, but the way of peace was chosen. He also mentioned Thailand, where three days earlier, a mad act of violence took place. Thirty-seven people, most of them children, were killed in a gun-and-knife attack on a nursery. With deep emotion, said Francis, I commit their lives to the Father, especially the little children and their families. Also Sunday. The Pope sent an apostolic blessing to the Archdiocese of Belém do Pará as the Brazilian faithful there celebrate their annual Sirio de Nazaré that honors Our Lady of Nazareth. On the second Sunday of October, in fact, a wooden image of Our Lady is carried in one of the world's largest processions from, say, cathedral to sanctuary square with vast numbers of faithful from across Brazil. Monday, October 10th. 
Addressing a group of Scalabrinian missionaries in Rome for Sunday's canonization of St. Giovanni Battista Scalabrini, Pope Francis commented on the diversity of their assembly, saying you well represent the breadth of Bishop Scalabrini's work, the openness of his heart to which, so to speak, one diocese was not enough. Scalabrini's apostolate in favor of Italian emigrants was of great importance. During his ministry in the late 1800s, explained the Pope, thousands of Italians were leaving for the Americas. Bishop Scalabrini looked at them with the gaze of Christ, and he took care with great charity and pastoral intelligence to provide them with adequate material and spiritual assistance. Also Monday, meeting 300 young people from Belgium, Pope Francis encouraged them to live out their faith with creativity in the face of difficulties and crises. He said the Church needs their enthusiasm to build a world imbued with the values of fraternity, peace, and reconciliation. And he invited them to be ambassadors of peace in a broken world, praising their commitment and Christian witness in an increasingly secularized and conflictual society. Tuesday, October 11th, the memorial of Pope St. John XXIII marked the 60th anniversary of the opening of Vatican Council II, convened by Pope John. Pope Francis presided at a Mass marking both occasions. In his homily, he quoted Jesus' words to St. Peter, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He said the Council was one great response to the Lord's question, Do you love me? To rekindle her love for the Lord, he said, the Church, for the first time in her history, devoted a council to examining herself and reflecting on her nature and mission. He suggested we can learn from the council how to look at the Church, especially from God's point of view, with his loving eyes. Francis warned against looking at the Church from our own point of view, condemning both progressivism and traditionalism as infidelity. Let us overcome all polarization and preserve our communion. Wednesday, October 12th. At the general audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis began his catechesis on spiritual discernment by noting, We have considered the importance of prayer and growth in self-knowledge. Today, we consider a third necessary element of discernment, which is desire, the deep longing for happiness and fulfillment present in the human heart. He explained that, in our spiritual tradition, desire is seen as evidence of our innate yearning for God and the peace that He alone can give, a kind of compass directing our lives to their ultimate goal. In seeking the Lord and trusting in His promises, we find the strength to persevere amid difficulties, to accept sacrifices joyfully, and to strive in all things to live in accordance with the Lord's will. Later, in an appeal, the Pope said, In these days my heart is always with the Ukrainian people, especially the inhabitants of those places where the bombardments have been raging. I carry within me their pain, and by the intercession of the Holy Mother of God, I present it in prayer to the Lord. He always listens to the cry of the poor who invoke him. May his Spirit transform the hearts of those who hold the outcome of the war in their hands so that the hurricane of violence may cease and peaceful coexistence in justice may be rebuilt. Also Wednesday, in a video message, Pope Francis encouraged members of the Federation of Asian Bishops who are gathered in Thailand to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to them.
to maintain fraternity and to embrace the poor, young people, and dialogue. Greeting the bishops, he also had special words for lay people. He said, may the laity assume their baptism, their function as lay people, and respect the singularity of each one, because the universal church is not the uniform church. No, it is universal, respecting the particularity of each church. Thursday, October 13th, Pope Francis met with the editors and contributors of Mondo e Missione, the monthly magazine of the Pontifical Institute for Foreign Missions, as it celebrates its 150th anniversary. He encouraged their work of sharing the stories of missionaries that serve in the peripheries, explaining that the magazine was born in response to a need of God's people, because many wanted to read the stories of missionaries, to feel close to them in their works, and to accompany them with prayer. Also, many wanted to learn about countries and cultures in a way that was different from one that was steeped in colonial mentality, a way with a Christian gaze, respectful and attentive to the seeds of truth and good scattered throughout the world. Friday, October 14. Pope Francis met with participants of the upcoming Christmas contest, organized by the Pontifical Foundation Gravissimum Educationis, that aims to give a voice to young people by inviting them to create new songs inspired by Christmas and its values. He thanked the organizers, and he challenged the young musicians not to follow the flashy and cliché fads so commonly found during the Christmas season, but rather to use this time to be original and creative. Rooted in the awe-inspiring event of Christmas itself, it's important to reflect on the fact, he said, that God came through, quote, a helpless baby born of a virgin in a cave. Another key ingredient, said Francis, is simplicity, but don't confuse it with triviality. The nativity is simple, but it is not trivial. Simplicity can serve rather as a way to move us, to be authentic, and to nourish the faith of God's people. Well, those are the news highlights of the week, but stay here for my conversation with Father Frank Phillips, former pastor for 30 years of Chicago's well-known St. John Cantius Church. EWTN, communicating the faith. It's so very important that everybody out there not just love Jesus. We all need to fall in love with Jesus. We can't do anything until we fall in love with Him. And what that means, and we can totally understand it as human beings, when you fall in love with someone, you do anything for the beloved. No prayer is useless. All prayer has power. If you say the rosary, it's real prayer because it's a mini scripture. If you say a novena prayer, it's a real prayer. It's just somebody there to help you when your mind is blank, to give glory and praise to God, to be humble and ask for whatever it is you want. All prayer is pleasing to God if it's done with a grateful, loving heart. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Well, I want to welcome my listeners to another wonderful and very interesting show from Vatican Insider. 
and I want to tell you that today I will be coming to you from Chicago. I'm in America, partly on vacation, mainly to attend a big event of the Order of the Holy Sepulchre and Investiture at the end of the month, and a lot of wonderful serendipitous meetings happened because of that, and one of those is my guest today, a meeting I had with Father Frank Phillips, and he is associated with the Paris for 30 years. He was the pastor at St. John Cantius. We're going to talk about that amazing church in a moment, the canons of St. John Cantius as well. We're going to talk about what a canon is and his role in bringing this church to the prominent spot that it has today. So, Father Frank, welcome. Thank you, Joan, and uh, greetings to all your listeners. Absolutely. Now, we go back quite a few years. I don't know if either of us remember our first meeting, but we do remember a meeting we had in the Holy Land. That's correct. And you were leading a pilgrimage. I was leading a pilgrimage. I, I believe it was probably the same like hotel. We were coming out of uh, somebody coming out, somebody going into dinner in the restaurant, and we just looked at each other. No way, That's you right. know. That's exactly what happened, yeah, Joan. Exactly. Very, very, a very small world. And then, as I said, on September twenty fourth, the uh, pre-investiture ceremony for the Knights and Dames of the Holy Sepulchre took place at Saint John Cantius. I have so many friends that, who were in that parish, who were and who are in that parish, uh, and I know the the current pastor, of course, Father Josh Harwell. And it was just such a privilege to be there because I'd heard of its beauty. And people will be able to see this when I post my pictures on my blog. I'd heard of its beauty. I heard of the beauty of the Mass. And you have the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, the Tridentine Rite, English Masses. But we're going to talk about all that um, in just a minute. But tell me a little bit about this parish. It's, it's Polish, right? Uh, it's a Polish foundation. Founded 1893, so it's an old parish, and it was uh, the area the church was located in was uh, there were so many poles there. It was called the Polish Patch. Oh, I love it! So uh, you can imagine families upon families. The school at one time, uh, this is a grammar school, had four thousand children. Oh my word! I the the day that. was divided. Half the day was done in English. The other half was done in Polish. Wow! Amazing. They used well, every Kentish space. Is from Kenty. This is uh, Saint John. Saint John Kenty. Kenty, and Kenty is the little village outside of Krakow, where the patron of the parish was born. And that was like 1390. We're it's talking 14, 1400s, yeah, 14th, 15th like century. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so when I came to the parish. No one ever heard of St. John Canty or St. John Cantius. He was the most obscure saint, <laughs> and you're laughing, but it's true. And uh, what was revealed over the, all these years is St. John Cantius is well known throughout the world now because of what has taken place in these past 30-plus years. Exactly. So you came in uh, in 1988 to the parish uh, uh, following a very illustrious line. I checked out the history, an illustrious line of, of uh, pastors and rectors be before you. So 1988 for 30 years, and the church as it is today, 
the extraordinary beauty, the physical beauty of the church, the chapels, the main altar, and the Polish chapel. We'll talk about that. Uh, it, it is just one outstanding work of art. And, and the number of masses, I want to talk about that because I don't know of any other parish that has as many masses, for example, on a Sunday. I'm, I'm talking to you after the 1230 mass. That was the fifth one this morning. That's correct. Yeah. I believe there's afternoon masses, uh, too. Yes, exactly. Vespers and after, <clears throat> afternoon mass. So the church, though, basically came about really with the pennies of these of the Polish immigrants. It was the Polish expat <clears throat> community. That's correct. We were a daughter parish of St. Stanislaus Kostka, oh. which is the oldest Polish parish in the Chicago area. Right. And the, the St. John's was built because they couldn't handle the overflow Oh, well, I, I remember growing up, and I'm sure it's still true today, that the largest Polish populace in one city outside of Warsaw is Chicago. That's correct. Yeah. And just think of the names of all the streets and, and everything else. But I grew up in Oak Park, and my parish was St. Edmund. I've loved <clears throat> the stories of the churches of Chicago. Cardinal George, rest his soul, gave me some beautiful books one Christmas. One was the 150th anniversary of the Archdiocese. The other was um, the Heavenly City and a story of all all the parishes. That was probably my first glimpse into St. John Cantius. So basically, what were you tasked with doing? You looked everything over and said, this has to be done. What, Joan, I should have had my head examined because after teaching for 10 years, going into a parochial work was totally different. Sure. But then going into a parish, which was, when I got there, there were like 75 people. Wow. That was it. That was it. But, you know, with uh, immediately uh, introducing the, uh, the sacred ceremonies, the liturgy, the music, all of a sudden it was like watching a flower open. Oh, more and more beauty and the fragrance. So uh, it, it was a long thirty years is a long time, and I can look now and see you know this is all the fruit of working so hard sure. to bring back a parish. Actually, it was slated to be torn down. No, I yeah. didn't know that. It was to be torn down. Oh my gosh! No, to go from seventy-five, and I think you. Um, told me the other day it's like 2,000 now. Probably 2,000 plus. Yeah, and tons of kids. I saw so many children this morning. There there was something to do with First Communion, and I saw a lot of families, and then even at the, um, at the 1230 Mass, you know. But I want to go back for a minute, because on your website, um, in, in looking at the history, and there's fabulous pictures um, on the website, and I'll give everyone that address, but in the history, it said in July of 1988, when you came, Pope John Paul had issued the motu proprio Ecclesia Dei, calling for a wide and generous application of the indult of 1984, which renewed the celebration of Mass according to the Missal of 1962. And this was known as the Extraordinary Form or the Tridentine Form. John Paul's purpose was to fulfill the rightful need of those attached to this liturgical tradition. And I think I'm here what we have to remind um, our listeners that after Vatican Council II, which ended in, um, in 1965, 
then we now had mass all over the world in vernacular, in the native right. language. Exactly. Uh, many, many changes took place. Latin was still said in an awful lot of parishes and dioceses. Um, we did have, because I grew up with the priest having his back to us in, in the Latin mass, and then after Vatican Council II, of course, the priest could, could, face, the, um, could face the parishioners. But in any event, it was this um, this document from Pope John Paul that was calling for beautiful liturgy, and that was your strong point. You really loved beautiful liturgy. That's correct, yes. Yeah. I had two good teachers. One was Monsignor Martin Hellriegel, pastor of Holy Cross Church in St. Louis, and the other was uh, Monsignor Richard Schuler, pastor of St. Agnes in St. Paul. Oh. Both... Both opened my eyes to see the treasury of what the uh, church provides. The sacred music, the sacred ceremonies, the beauty of the art, and how important all these things are because we're not all theologians. But you know how we learn? Through our senses. Yes, always. So you come to the church, what do you sense a touch? Holy water sense of sight, you see the magnificence of the sanctuary, you hear the music, there's another sense, a sound. Absolutely. But the last sense that you uh, experience, the sense of taste when the sacred host is given to you. The Eucharist. The Eucharist, the bread of life. Absolutely. So look how much we learn just walking into a building. Oh, absolutely. And I know that um, when um, Cardinal Bernadine, of course, asked you, this was in um, after the uh, motu proprio, Cardinal Bernard asked you to establish St. John Cantus as the site for this renewed celebration of the Tridentine Mass. As a result, of course, the, it was decided that the indult Tridentine Mass would be celebrated on a weekly basis at St. John Cantus. The first of these was in February 1989. And then on December 8, 1992, a large group of faithful who had worshipped with the Society of Pius X in Oak Park, they began attending Mass at St. John Cantus. And I think 92 things really began to grow from there. It was like a, a, a rocket. Yeah. I mean, you, just, you could not stop it. And uh, just for instance, how did it grow? Well, when I first came to the parish, we had one child in the parish. Oh, my word. Once all these people started coming in, we went from one child, and you saw on Sunday just today, yeah. how many children there are. Yes. No, entire families. I, and I met a couple uh, talking with them in the vestibule after Mass, and we were, just, we were just surrounded by children, which is wonderful. But I do want to interject here that the reason I'm even men- mentioning, well, first of all, it's part of the founding, the, the return to this Tridentine rite, and the Latin Mass, the TLM, as we're calling it today, traditional Latin Mass, is because, you know, we've all read and heard of, you know, some of the, uh, what did I say, opposition to the, you know, Tridentine rites. And the Holy Father has written a document on the Latin Mass. There have been greater restrictions placed, and it's on the whole church, I mean, you know, throughout the world, greater restrictions placed on the Latin Mass, which sometimes can be hard to understand simply because in those parishes where it is uh, offered, 
you have the large numbers of people and you have families coming. That's correct. Children grow up. They they, they know with their senses. Like you just said a minute ago, they, they walk into church, they're four or five years old, and they put their fingers in the holy water. Right. And then not yeah. until First Communion are they receiving communion, but still, they see the beauty. Their parents point it out. They go over to pray at a certain Madonna or St. Joseph. So their spiritual life is, is greatly nourished when they're, when they're very, very young. They grow up in the faith, which is the important thing. It's not just mass on sunday it's yes. the living faith which is brought up in the family daily prayer sacrifice uh, prayer at meals meals together which is yeah. becoming a very very rare but uh, families need to do these things together right. in order to appreciate attendance and participation in the holy eucharist exactly and, and also in, in your church in in, in saint john Cantius in particular um, uh, before the investiture ceremony, I was walking all around, taking, I probably took 40 pictures. Um, the, the chapel, on the way to the sanctuary, I'm, excuse me, sacristy, all the relics. And, and I mean, you almost have to have some way, you can't read all the fine print, but tons of relics. So children go in, and you see a relic, and you say, this is St. Faustina, this is St. John Bosco, or whoever they would be. And, and then... If that isn't enough, you go to the chapel, just uh, would be to your left as you come in the church, with the replica, the one-third size replica of the magnificent altar at St. Mary's on Market Square in Krakow. Exactly, yes. I went to Mass there every night for a week when I was in Krakow, and it was jammed. But you know, you don't you think of the Polish in faith? And I don't mean just St. John Cantius. Um, it's just in their native Poland. They have a, a depth to them. In fact, uh, why did I commission that altarpiece? Yeah. Because uh, the parishioners who built our church were from that area of Krakow. Uh, and maybe the last thing they saw was that altarpiece. Oh, yeah. And so when I had that altarpiece, the Vichdals altarpiece uh, commissioned, it was my chance to have a votive offering for the faith of those early parishioners, yeah. the builders. Well, that's all the time we have this week with Father Frank Phillips, former pastor for 30 years at St. John Cantus Church in Chicago. As you heard, he had always been a proponent of liturgy that is celebrated with reverence and with great attention to the rubrics as established by the Church. St. John offers high and low masses in both Latin and English, and Father Phillips also greatly enhanced this solemn liturgy by the rich musical tradition of the Western Church. Come back next week for part two of our conversation when we talk about the canons regular of St. John Cantius, the amazing number of liturgies they have each week, and much more. For more information on these stories, or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.